0: Welcome to the Global Digital Banker podcast. This week, we caught up with some of the key business and payments thought leaders in the Canadian market to discuss all things cross-channel innovation, real-time payments tracking, and the rise of the shared economy. Our guests include Tracy Black, Executive Director, Modernization at Payments Canada, Jason Charbois, SVP, Small Business at Scotiabank, and Paul Parisi, President at PayPal Canada. really pleased to be joined today by Tracy Black, Executive Director of Modernization at Payments Canada. Thanks for joining me today, Tracy.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: You've just recently joined the team at Payments Canada, which is wonderful. So why don't you start with a, with a brief introduction to yourself and, and a bit about your career so far?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, I've been working in financial services since 2001 and uh, it would seem that most of my my employment to date has led me to this position. Uh, I think probably some of the most relevant experience I've had uh, was leading the introduction of EMV in Canada. I ran the project management office that uh, was engaged by the industry to introduce uh, EMV in Canada back in the mid-2000s and so have had some exposure to projects that are complicated and involved multiple stakeholders before. I've also been uh, consulting in the financial services space, oh, since shortly after that, since around 2009. And uh, my introduction to Payments Canada occurred when uh, I was working for McKinsey and Company. McKinsey was engaged to assist with the visioning around modernization for Payments Canada. And that was my first exposure to this rather massive initiative that I find myself involved with now.
0: (laughs) Yes, it's massive is an understatement. And and for our global listeners, I know they're looking at Canada and the innovations that are happening to the payment rails and really trying to create this faster safer and and better experience for Canadian consumers and businesses. Big question, where are we at right now with payments modernization? I know there's a big roadmap. Where are we at and what are we seeing in the immediate future?
1: With programs of this size, sometimes progress feels glacial. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, there there are major milestones. We had uh, some pretty substantial deliveries in 2018 uh, on our ACSS system. We introduced a new credit risk model on ACSS. We also introduced a third exchange window that happened in September. Uh, and in October of last year, we introduced two-hour funds availability. Uh, so, you know, we've made some real progress on that pillar. Um, we're also moving forward with the enhancements to our high-value payment system. We selected our application service provider in, we announced that uh, in November, we're working with SIA. You know, a lot of things happen, you know, sort of behind the closed door on initiatives like this. We yeah. are working... Very actively with all of our members who are direct participants in in our high value payment system, uh, we're getting ready to uh, engage with a, a prime vendor to assist with the integration of the application and to start with the build. So we're making a shift from design into delivery on the on the links pillar. On the real time rail side, we uh, we are still trying to come up with the perfect design. As you know, we have a, a very well established P two P solution in market through Interac, uh, and that has um, that's provided us with some opportunity to leverage existing capability in market, uh, and we're, we're working through the details of how we're, um, how we're going to best do that to deliver a robust solution and also to minimize the amount of work that has to occur within our member financial institutions.
0: Mm. I know that increased data is one of the really, really important things for you at Payments Canada in these, in these changes. So what are some of those key examples of benefits for customers that you see as an outcome for, for the changes that you're driving?
1: Well, I think uh, with enhanced information traveling with the payment, it creates the opportunity for a much more robust payment experience for end users. Uh, so Payments Canada, our role is is to enhance the systems in the middle, uh, to enhance the infrastructure, to support innovation by our members, uh, you know, so that they can deliver a better customer facing experience for their end users. And as we think about data traveling with the payment, obviously, we're focused on the introduction of ISO 20022. On our high value payment system, uh, we'll be working with our application service provider to have that capability. Uh, and we're working with our members to understand when it makes the most sense to turn that capability on on the real-time rail side, uh, we will also be ISO enabled at launch on that system. And I, I think the value proposition for consumers with Interact in the market, they, they already include a fair amount. You know, there's the opportunity for an end user to include data with the payment. It's a, a free text field. And we're looking as we introduce more formal communication messaging with ISO uh, to provide some enhancements that could also be leveraged, for example, by commercial mm. end users.
0: We're speaking about consumers. I was at a a business banking event yesterday here in Toronto and a lot of talk about how payments innovation can be aiding the small business owner as well. So can you share some insights as to what you see as some case studies that we'll see or real key examples of something that will benefit the business community in particular?
1: Well, I think the obvious application, there are two two obvious payment um, vehicles today that are opportunities for for both end users and and for financial institutions and you know one one is wires and the other is checks Uh, and so this the challenge that we have with both of those payment instruments today um, is that uh, there isn't amount of data that travels with the payment obviously checks are still paper we digitize them here in Canada Uh, but as we think about small business in particular they still write a very substantial number of checks uh, and they they do that for a number of reasons, uh, and to introduce a real time payment capability that provides irrevocable good funds payments, you know, much more quickly than they can get those funds today, is I, I think a very compelling value proposition. On the wire side, there are a number of of wires that are sent for transactions that are, you know, under twenty five thousand dollars, and the the rationale for the use of the wire payment option is speed, and so it's uh, another opportunity for. Uh, small businesses, medium businesses uh, to replace paper payments or wire payments with uh, with a real-time payment.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, we were talking about this yesterday at the conference about, yes, people- businesses want speed when it's incoming payments
1: <laughs> but not when it's outgoing <laughs> often,
0: yeah often when they're paying they they want to write that check to buy themselves you know a week or so to uh, to manage the cash flow but yeah they, they, obviously there's huge benefits but It's just quite interesting to think about
1: well i think you know it, it'll be interesting as more and more jurisdictions introduce request to pay capability yes uh, to see how that how that features with uh, with commercial payments mm. or interact offers that capability in canada as you probably know yeah. uh, and um You know, we we look around at other implementations to try and understand what the best practices are. You know, there are some advantages to not being on the very front end of these sorts of things. And, um, you know, it looks like that's a, a pretty substantial capability in terms of driving volume on real time systems. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in other jurisdictions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so payments modernization opens up the rails to to new entrants. So there's lots of different overlay services and lots of different opportunities for Canadian businesses, financial services businesses to get involved. So you said you've kind of announced some of the key partners that you're working with, but who do you see as being able to to really leverage these new opportunities within the financial services industry?
1: Uh, Well, I, I think having faster payments capability in the middle provides a potential for innovation. You know, quite broadly, from a Payments Canada perspective, we will take our lead from the Department of Finance. Um, We look to them to help us define new membership classes uh, and to set some requirements around who might have access to Payments Canada systems. We're still, as you probably know, waiting some, some more details on what they're thinking in that area but in the meantime you know the expectation is that our direct participants they our banks our members they work with fintechs today Uh, we've watched how fintechs have increased the capability or the experience around some key payment vehicles that are in existence today and our expectation is the platform for, for innovation that we're building will allow our members and their customers to innovate pretty substantially and to introduce new customer experiences and even new products and services into the market
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you can see those partnerships working across the full industry, and it's about leveraging that to to improve the payments industry more specifically. Really fantastic insights. Thanks for sharing that with us today.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for your time.
0: Really pleased to be joined by Jason Charlebois, uh, who's SVP for small business at Scotiabank. Thanks so much, Sarah. I'm happy to be here. Um, So you've had an incredible career at Scotiabank, really transcending so many different divisions of the business. And so, you know, you've been able to see so much innovation on the retail side. And I think the whole financial services industry has, and it seems like there's an awakened focus on that SME customer, which, you know, occupies your day to day now. How do you channel the innovation that's been seen on the retail side and bring it to the small business customer?
2: And that's great. Uh, that's a great question. I think we spend a lot of time thinking about wherever there are parallels to other business segments where there's been innovation to, to see where and how you can uh, apply similar principles. I think in the uh, SME space, the innovation focus really is around speed and sophistication of allowing a business to operate and manage their day-to-day in an independent way. So I think mm-hmm. banks bring a combination of advice through human and virtual connections to customers and capabilities through platforms. And I think uh, where the retail experience has really benefited in the last few years, the SME experience is also benefiting from those types of things. Um, You know, in our case at Scotiabank, we've uh, implemented things such as uh, real-time wire tracking through our online uh, digital platform to help uh, a business owner understand where their money is in movement. The ability to have digital authenticated tokens, so that they can actually safely and securely access the details of their business through a mobile device or online. And obviously, we're spending a lot of time thinking about how the payments flow uh, can be improved in Canada. We're still, at, you know, still a heavily check-based ecosystem in Canada, and there's a lot of yeah. uh, digitization and, and electronic and and automation opportunities in that space.
0: Yeah. And one of the topics that was very topical on your panel you spoke about was this blending of the digital experience and the personal relationship. Because when you're talking about small business, it's unlikely that they're going to have their own RM. That's just not how it works in terms of volume and and feasibility. Um, But, you know, a lot of these businesses require that need for expertise and that need for comfort and someone that's going to support their growth. They also demand the the best digital experience. How do you blend that?
2: Yeah, I think the SME, small business market, is a classic example of one where you need to be really excellent at balancing personalized and customized advice delivery and sophistication of self-serve and omnichannel capabilities Mm because businesses do need and want to interact with us in multiple different uh, ways. Uh, But at the heart of why they choose their bank, it's because they're getting advice. So we think that that personal relationship and, and we're evolving how we deliver that personal relationship Uh, to your point around uh, scale in terms of um, sometimes those are virtual advisors, sometimes those are local advisors in their market, and sometimes uh, that advice is delivered completely in an electronic or digital fashion. So I think the evolution is a combination depending on the unique needs of that business in terms of how we best serve them.
0: Yeah, and do you think it's possible to give small businesses the RM experience, but through digital means?
2: I don't envision digital replacing the role that our small business advisors have in helping a business uh, chart their path to growth. Uh, I think there's a uh, an evolving balance of how much of that time the business owner needs the RM to guide and coach them versus where we can help that business owner in other ways to yeah. allow them to to achieve the business's success. But I do feel that there's a strong need for human advice as part of a business's growth trajectory. Yeah. We're one of the few trusted advisors that businesses need to be successful.
0: Mm. At the conference today, we've had North One, who is a US neobank um, operating yeah. in Canada, that have just achieved literally today a. Minute loan. So we're seeing these fintechs coming into the space and really challenging the experiences that have been traditionally in place. So, do you think big banks can survive this influx of, of SME fintech financing and payment companies?
2: Yes, I think, uh, I think banks are very well positioned. I think it's about collaboration. Scotiabank uh, is you know, undertaking a multi-year digital transformation uh, with our stated aspiration to be a digital leader. We've opened digital factories in all of our major markets here in Canada, uh, in Toronto, uh, Mexico, Peru, Chile, and Colombia. Um, and we uh, also make material investments in, uh, in the ecosystem of fintechs. We have uh, partnerships with Canadian universities and organizations, Uh, venture and venture capital firms provide focused access to the fintech ecosystem. I feel that a combination of partnering with FinTechs as they help teach us about how to better serve customers, as well as leveraging the capabilities of the of the strength of the of the bank itself to deliver um is the way of the future.
0: Yeah. And I'm interested, you mentioned those markets there, such different markets that you're working across. How how do the challenges differ for you across those different areas?
2: I think each market that we operate in is is unique in its own way but there are common elements of course across all the markets. I think you know the pervasiveness of digital technology and smartphones now more globally than ever allows some consistency in terms of the basic uh, features and functions that are core to delivering banking digitally are similar. Obviously the use cases and the specific uh, pain points are unique in markets. So we kind of use a, you know, kind of a a global and a a local focus blended together to make sure that we get the right capabilities into the customer's hands in the various markets that we operate.
0: Yeah. And what are the big opportunities do you think for the large domestic banks like yourselves, particularly in Canada or across those markets to overcome these challenges and these pain points?
2: It's a you know a constant focus on prioritizing what are the things that creating friction in our customers lives that if we can reduce and eliminate that friction is going to make those customers feel better about choosing Scotiabank as their primary bank mm-hmm. and feel better about referring and advocating for us in their inner circle. So I think you know for all of us as large incumbent banks, it's about um, uh, surprising and delighting our customers and being relevant to the things that matter to them.
0: Yeah. As we said at the beginning, it's such an exciting time to be focused on the small business customer. And I know you have your hands very full in focusing on this. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Sarah.
0: Really pleased to be joined by Paul Parisi, President for Canada at PayPal. Thanks so much for joining me, Paul. Thank you. So we're here at the Global Business Banking Conference, the Canadian edition here in Toronto and you've just come off stage from a fantastic panel session with uh, a lot of different perspectives which is always refreshing. So we had a fintech, a US fintech, a massive domestic bank, credit union and of course yourself a global payments innovator um, and discussing what is going to be the business model of the future and I'm sure if we all had a crystal ball to find that out everyone would uh, would be very excited but it was an interesting discussion so so we'll talk more about it here. What do, you, what do you see, what new business models will dictate the future of business banking, financial services in your mind?
3: Yeah, so, I, so what I was saying on stage was, was that the models themselves, I think, are already built. Mm. I don't think that people are looking for new types of financial services. I think they're just looking for um, getting those financial services the way that they want to, yeah. when they want to. Um, and how they want to, what form they want to take that in. So if I think about some of the things that uh, PayPal has done, one of the examples that I use is, is we just announced uh, this week that um, our lending service in the UK has lent, over the last five years, has lent £1 billion to 37,000 different small businesses. Wow. But, the, but the important piece here is that 70% of the transactions and the requests were completed in non traditional banking hours, so after hours. And that's where I think the business model needs to move to yeah. is giving people 24 hours a day access in the way that they wanted. Do they want it in an app? Do they want a call? Like however they want it is how they should be able to get access to it. And so I don't think it's as much as a shift in Um, the actual model itself, but more of a modification to how people get access to that model.
0: Yeah, it exists. It just needs to be better. And if you think about the business owner, you know, especially if we're looking at the micro end of things, they're going to be doing their day-to-day business, selling their products or services from the nine till five. So when it comes to thinking about growing their business and the services that they will typically need from the financial services provider, of course, it's going to be outside of of business hours, right?
3: Right, Right. completely agree. And I think, I think there's so there's a, there's that really busy worker between 9 to 5 and how do they get to the bank yeah. um if they have to or to today for for the most part they have to but then there's also that the gig economy and the five to niner economy that they're doing their regular job during the day and they don't have the ability to go out and modify the time that they get to go to the bank and at nighttime is when they're doing that and they want to be able to access whatever financial information they want Mm. at the time that they want to do it
0: yeah online services there's so many new technologies and buzzwords that people are throwing around and I've known you for past two years now and I know that you do have such an interest in in how this is developing and and so when you've got automation you've got machine learning you've got AI uh, how likely is this to cause a job churn in the next you know future 30 40 years and what new services does this labor force need Uh,
3: you know it's happening um, as we speak and and I think the only piece here is I think there'll be a certain portion of the workforce that they themselves morph into some new or different job within um, what they're doing today. So they just become uh, more knowledgeable about AI and some of the new jobs that are required. But then I think there's a bigger part of that community that's going to find themselves potentially out of work Mm -hmm. um, and need to uh, transition into something else, whether that's another traditional form of work um, or whether that's maybe Uh, building on the side gig that they've been doing um, all along and they need to kind of think differently. And so when I listen to that question, I sort of look at that as how can PayPal help in that scenario? Well, they can help during the transition. They can help create easy access to credit. They've got a new customer that doesn't have a traditional income source they're moving into a space that the traditional lenders are kind of like, mm, I'm not sure if this is going to work. So I'm not going to lend you a it. whole lot of money, yeah. right? We and I think the rest of the financial services community needs to think differently about that mm. and treat that um, that new workforce differently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Because it's interesting when you don't have a history of credit or a history of understanding how that particular industry is going to develop. What do right. you base those decisions off, right?
3: Exactly. And so... We we have it. Right, so the so the history is there. Yeah. It's just that the, the concern around the future well, yeah. um, is also there. And and so you know a traditional lender is looking at things say, saying, well, there's no uh, traditional stream uh, of income here. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what risk I'm willing to take. Yeah. Um, and I think the non traditional lenders and non traditional fi- financial service providers like PayPal mm-hmm. will think differently about that community.
0: So as you're entering these kind of uncharted waters, then how do you keep security in check? Obviously a massive priority for for yourself and PayPal. uh, So
3: so we've been very fortunate over the 20 years that we've uh, been around, that we are the number one trusted brand, the number one trusted brand in e-commerce and in online services. And it's because people know we're not providing data to anybody, if the uh, end user gets hacked, uh, um, they they aren't seeing any information that would that would reveal yeah. or provide concern to um, uh, to our customer, and that sense of security for online is what people have been grabbing onto. Mm. Um, and, and there's even more development, I think, in this space that's getting better with AI. Um, that's going to make it even better for people. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because we see exactly that in our data, and particularly when we're talking about millennials. So we did a study, uh, it's UK based at the moment, but it's coming to Canada, um, where we asked people, who do they trust with their financial services information? Yeah. And PayPal and Amazon, for the first time, overtook the banks. So the banks have still got this level of trust across all age groups. But yeah. when you cut it down, the millennials for the first time, that's overtaken the banks who who rely on this trust as their kind of value. Mm. And It's interesting to see this shift in the younger generation that you really can start to take advantage of. And talking more about millennials, they have this, well, they're demanding this greater flexibility in the workplace and and how they manage their money, as we've already spoken about. What specifically are the fintech models to service these millennials, do you think?
3: Yeah, so um, I was actually saying on stage, millennials, also a bad word these days. and No one knows how to get to them. No one knows who they are. They're this enigma, Well, Um, they're not even
0: so young anymore.
3: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, But they are educated and they are online and digital and they know how to use that and they know what they want. Mm. Um, And there's very little loyalty in that space. They just want to know that they can get what they want. So when I look at PayPal globally, I can't help but move towards... Uh, the Venmo app that's available in the US. The Venmo app, which was built on on this sort of awkward splitting of money between friends and acquaintances. You go to dinner, one person picks up the bill and it's like you owe me 20, you owe me 20 and all that kind of stuff and and uh, people were finding it awkward and one of the examples that I've used is is that when someone wants to, you know, four people want to go to a concert, you can't do that individually. It's usually one person that has to to do that.
0: So you can Um, sit together. Correct.
3: So you want to sit together, you got 31, 2, 3, 4, and 5. But then one person puts out Five hundred dollars, and they have to figure out how to get that money back. And so this app was built to say, um, "Hey, Venmo me a hundred bucks, right, uh, for the for the ticket." And here's an emoji, and it makes it a little less subtle yeah. or a little more subtle, but but a little less sort of awkward and daunting. Um, and people have latched on to this app and and the social networking aspect of it. And now when PayPal um, took it over, they also saw the payment side of it and the success of it. Um, It speaks for itself, you know, in September of 2018, $1 billion of peer-to-peer money movement happened on splitting and moving money between friends Mm. when we moved into Venmo pay. So we actually have a button now in the U.S. where when you go on and you want to pay with PayPal, pay with whatever you want, you can also do a a pay with Venmo. Um, And people are latching onto that. And we did $62 billion dollars in 2018, of total payments on the Venmo app, yeah. which is amazing. It's amazing, yeah. right? I mean, and it's it, all due to the all due to the millennials. That's yeah. that's who wants
0: it. It's staggering figures, but it's also, as you raised on stage, the fact that Venmo is a it's a verb, Venmo me. Yeah, Venmo
3: me, Venmo <laughs> me.
0: <laughs> I mean, I see that in the sort of trashy sitcoms that I watch. <laughs> but you know, it, it it that is how prevalent this is, and I think it's one of the examples outside of Asia, maybe where we've seen this kind of app come in and take over and blur those lines between payments and kind of social interaction, exactly. which seems to be the way we should be going globally.
3: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And clearly see opportunities within the Canadian market to do something like that.
0: Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the exciting things coming up for you, um, particularly focused <laughs> on Canada at PayPal?
3: You know, I, I mean, first of all, um, C- Canadians have to latch to this as well, right? Yeah. So the, the slowness with which... They're embracing the technology has been a concern, right? And, and when you're a global company and you're looking to where am I going to invest, yeah. you want to invest in the markets that are already growing. Canada's there. It's interesting. I think we're at the tipping point. Mm-hmm. If you've ever read the book, it's an awesome book, uh, Caldwell. <laughs> you're just going to see it shoot off. We're ready for that. Yeah. I'm not gonna give you anything more than that, um, but we're ready for what I think people are gonna want in this market, what they've been asking for in other markets. Yeah. We we got the benefit of seeing the success yeah. of other markets and we know kind of how you stage this out to work in parallel with e-commerce and digital growth in the market.
0: Yeah, Well, that it. a lot of customers don't know what they want unless you show it to them either. So the fact that you can leverage that global experience, show the Canadians, look, this is awesome, this is how you should I should be doing things. I agree. And
3: there is a little bit of chicken egg in there, yes. right? And you kind of, you know, if you launch it, will they come? Yeah. Um, or do you wait for them to be there and then give them what they want? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's a balance in there. You do a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you do kind of scale it and roll it out appropriately.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll be watching with bated breath. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining me today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week. To view the show notes and for more content on the podcast, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. For updates on upcoming episodes, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at rfi group, or email us at gdbpodcast at RFIGroup.com.